Welcome to Death Row. Like we always do about this time. Ha ha ha! I'm gonna fight your fucking ass! You don't got, you're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Ah, uh, there's a little snake in the grass. Hey, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. No fucking Jesus, people! I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody! Hey, pussy, are you still there? I'm back. Who the fuck is that guy? Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. I would like to introduce... Welcome to the MMA for Money show, episode 17. Yes, we're back again. We're not taking a break again. Yes, we already did our award show and so many others are doing theirs this week. No, we're just giving you more content as you're waiting for such great events in the future like UFC 246, the return of Conor McGregor, first Cowboy Cerrone. No, that's not this week. That will be next week. But we are going to have a little bit of fun tonight. It's going to be a little bit different than a normal format. A little bit more free-flowing, a little more conversational. Breaking down a few subjects that we've been wanting to get into. But given the UFC schedule, we really haven't been able to. I am Bob Voss at MA State of Mind on Twitter. I'm here with Mike Copenhaver at Don't Cope Just Win. Also mainly runs the MA for Money team Twitter account. Account. Also, if you go to that web page, MMA4Money.com, you will find amazing premium packages that hit up pretty big in this last week. Mike, can you say hi to the people? What's going on with you? And break down how great Prime's doing. Oh, uh, hey guys, pleasure to be here with you to break down some stuff. Uh, Prime man has been on an absolute freaking tear. I mean, when bo- when playoff time comes, I mean, Prime is that's when he's at his best. And I'm not talking about hitting, you know, some uh, big favorites or, you know, some people that everyone trusted. I'm talking about going out on a limb and picking teams like the Tennessee Titans to not only clear the spread of 5.5 points on the spread, but for them to win by 7 to 12 points at a plus 750. So on just the Titans game alone, we won over $850 for the NFL package. And then if that wasn't enough, we rolled that right along onto the Vikings, who uh, somehow defeated the Saints, which was huge because Prime called that as well. And not only did he call them to win by the spread of plus eight, he called the first half money line, which was a plus 240. And he also called the Minnesota Vikings to win by from one to six point margin, a plus 700 for a half of a unit. So that's another 690 that he won on that NFC wildcard game. I mean, he's just on an absolute terror. Over 13 units won, which is over $1,300 on this weekend in NFL and NCAA. If you're not rolling with Prime, you don't know what you're doing. No, absolutely. Because as previously said on this podcast, I know like three sports and none of them are mainstream. So if ever I need to uh, plainly <laughs> tail someone, uh, Prime is where it's at. Unless you want some, uh, pick some winners on some world level marathon times or MMA or occasionally I get lucky with hockey. But other than that, I got just, I got, I got to follow prime on that one. Um, we're gonna cover a few topics uh, tonight. One of which is judging. That's actually the first one we're going to get into. We're also going to go in a little bit into the UFC rankings. going to do something fun with that. We're going to do a little game that I like to do just in my own mind. And I'm, I'm bringing the mic for this called uh, MMA. What if, and then we're also going to talk to you a little bit how we break down fights, um, like what we're looking for, how we have leaning, stuff like that. 
And that'll probably wrap it up for tonight, unless something else comes, unless unless the conversation takes to other places. But we're going to start with judging. Now, how I judge a fight, or how I see fights going, and how I, I would like to see them judged, is, as you've heard on this podcast, I am a big output guy. Obviously, I would like those to land, but if someone is just being defensive, because I do believe defense is its own reward, if someone's being defensive and the other person is throwing more, they're winning. Granted, if like the landing numbers are the same, I mean, it's it's a wash. But if whoever's throwing more, they have the more, more offense going. Uh, if they're going forward, controlling the center uh, in terms of on the ground, Obviously, I, I score takedowns, but if, if nothing's done with it, if it's just if the takedown leading to holding and not trying to advance position or do any type of strikes from top, I don't weigh that as heavy as many others would. Uh, I actually do really look at guys on bottom if they are very offensive, uh, either with going for submissions or... Or like, especially like someone like Tony Ferguson, who really attacks upward with his elbows if he is on bottom and guys like that. I really, really like that. And I'm sorry, if you have someone taken down and although you have a dominant position, if I see the vast majority of strikes coming from the ground and causing the damage there, I'm scoring it for the guy on bottom, or at least I think that's how it should be judged. Um, Trying to think of anything out there really just jumps out other than that. I mean, bare minimum, that's how I score a fight or how I believe it should be judged. Mike, how do you see fights? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty similar to you. I I personally have like three, I guess there's like three categories and there's like little branches that fall off into them. And uh, for me, it's um, uh, like it's aggression, which is octagon control, um, meaning the guy going forward and um, who's, controlling that that aspect of it and then i got and then that's mixed with striking as well so if you have the the more output and you're going forward you're automatically you know winning that fight to me but if a takedown a takedown doesn't get scored to me unless there is a is some kind of dominant uh transition to submission or some kind of transition to a ground and pound if you just take someone down in the sense of like, oh my god, I scored a takedown, like that won the round. I, I definitely, I just, it's disgusts me to see people who uh, win fights like that. Right off the top of my head, Cody Stamen is a guy who thinks that you just take a guy down and do nothing with it, and he thinks that that wins a fight. I, I really need you to take someone down, transition to side control, go to full, uh, full mount, do do something aggressive, jujitsu wise or um, ground and pound wise to get a point for the takedown. So that would be an, another point. Um, the octa control and then striking. And then um, uh, I think that, that pretty much covers it. So there's like there's like a little branches between the, the, the three so that you can get three points. So I don't know, man. It, it's tough. Now in a um, – because as previously said on this podcast, if anyone was listening for the first time, since I do not in the least bit – uh, train jujitsu. I'm a fan of it, but don't at least, but don't uh, train it. And I know you do. When you're watching uh, a ground exchange, so someone takes someone down. At, at, for this argument, I guess doesn't really matter who takes who down. But do you score more the guy that's throwing up subs, even if they're being easily defended, or would you give credit to the person that is just completely nullifying the attempts 
or similar to striking is just the the defense in that scenario, its own reward isn't necessarily scored for them. Uh, definitely uh, being a jiu-jitsu guy and a wrestler, I, I, I have to reward a, a guy being on his back going for submissions and attacking. I can't reward a, a wrestler just for getting that takedown like I talked about and laying there uh, in someone's guard. Uh, someone's got you in their guard and then they're trying to throw up a triangle to transit to an arm bar or just trying to do something. That, that to me, uh, earns more. But I think a lot of these judges, they've never done any jujitsu wrestling, never been in a fight in their life. Um, you know, they're mostly spoon-fed, spoiled people. So I don't really understand what they're looking for and what they see, but they're definitely not scoring um, an offensive, like, submission game off your back. No, and I completely get that. And honestly, I think the judges uh, currently – uh, are throwing me off because for a while I thought I had a good beat on how they judged. I didn't yeah, agree I mean, the way they judged. I just knew how they would judge. So you're watching a fight and you can pick a winner as the fight goes on because you know what judges are looking for, whether that's right or not. But you know what they're looking for. And I, I know we've talked about this briefly in the past with some of the decisions this past year, but uh, with some of the minor rule changes, I, I think it's confused the judges more than anything because now they're judging fights how I never would have guessed them to. And it's really thrown off sometimes how I see fights ending because I obviously know who I thought won and who most of my friends or people who I talk to online, how they see the fight ending. And I just feel like some of the uproar over decisions is becoming more and more. And I don't know if that has to do with the entire system, the 10 point must system that we use or the judges. And I know, like, like you've said, it's like so many of them don't train. And I mean, obviously I'm, I'm not a judge, so I don't think my scorecards are above reproach, especially as previously said, I do not train. I mean, I've yeah, well, thousand, thousand, least, thousands of hours of fights, but I don't train. Yeah. Right. At least with you, you're, you're an actual fan of the sport. I don't necessarily think you have to train uh full time or I, I mean, necessarily at all, but just, dive so deep into the game where you you understand those submissions and submissions is kind of like how the japanese fans uh when you when someone is doing a transition or a submission attempt over in japan they escape the the fans are really educated they, a lot of them might not have trained but they're educated on on what's going on so they cheer for the escape or the transition i, I just think that if we had old uh, fighters as judges we would it, it would we would find a system that worked a lot better um, or at least lifelong fans who understand the sport and respect it more. No, I, I can get that. And who knows, maybe some of them in their retirement will start going there. I just don't want to hope that being the cure-all, uh, if it happens and it doesn't fix it, I do think it will help, but I think there might be other ways to help it if that's not the cure-all. And uh, one thing I want to go into that uh, we've talked about somewhat in the past, but like I said, the currently we use the 10 point must system. Uh, the two other main score, I guess three main scoring systems. I forgot one the when we talked earlier, so I'll bring that one in now. Uh, there's also uh, the half point system where as opposed to whoever wins automatically gets 10, whoever loses around automatically gets a nine unless it's dramatic and then it can be 10, eight. This is a half point. So if it is a close round, because not all 10 nines are equal, there could be a 10 to nine and a half or a 10 to an eight and a half. That's a way to make it a little bit more nuanced. And then also judges, uh, referees might not be as 
um, scared to take points away because you're only taking half a point away. And that's not as detrimental in a three round fight as a full point is, especially if they have uh, one to two dominant rounds. Uh, another way for the more long-term fans is how they stood in pride, which was judging the fight on the whole. Uh, the only major downside of that is you had a tendency to lean towards how the third round was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that's a bias that I think doesn't even necessarily go with that system. Cause if you're going with the fight on the whole, if you, if, if one person is utterly dominating for two rounds and then they lose the third, they should still win the fight. Cause that's, that's the, the fight on the whole, the majority of the time they were winning. But I, I just think towards the end, that was starting to lean towards that final thing. And one thing I've always been interested in seeing for the 10 point muscle that I think wouldn't necessarily be a cure all, but I, I think it would solve all some of the issues that we do have is open scoring where similar to some boxing fights at each round, the corners, the fighters, the audience all know what each round was scored. Cause then even if you thought you won and maybe rightfully show you should have won, you know what the score is. And I know they've said that by doing that, if someone's clearly winning, they might coast the final round. But even if with them coasting the final round, it still might lead to the person they're fighting, go for broke and lead to more exciting fights. Now, like of those, guess technically four now um do you have a particular leaning of a way you would like to see things go or you have preferred seeing in the past or maybe even another option that you've thought of um i think that i uh i I, after explaining earlier how i look at fights it it seems like the half point scoring system is is something that i look at fights so i guess the the octagon control and then striking could be like the stand up that could be one point and then another point could be takedown with a submission uh, attempt could be another point or takedown with ground and pound uh, as a point and then the other third point could be just on how how much how badly you dominated the person in the dominant position so i i don't i i, I can't say exactly but i think the half point scoring system would uh be more friendly and end up um I guess benefiting the fighters in the long run. No, I, I I can go with that one. Absolutely. I mean, obviously we both agree that the way judging is now something is up. So whether we need to find a way to get new judges in there or just actual like MMA judges, not just judges who are combat sports judges that don't have a specialty and don't know all the nuances of MMA. Like I find it utterly shocking that like, okay, so two weeks or week and a half uh, about when it is for UFC 246. We're sitting there. We're watching any number of fights on that card. I mean, obviously, the, the, the card itself isn't great other than the main event. But let's say something like, I don't know, uh, Andre Feely, Sodik Yusef. And we're watching the fight. And we're watching the fight. And Andre Feely is, it's close. But he's just hitting a little bit more, a little bit cleaner. And almost universally on Twitter, everyone scores it for him. 29, 28. I'm talking the vast, like I'm not even sure if I see anyone in my time that scores it otherwise. And then MMA decisions that if you guys actually don't know that resource, MMA decisions.com is phenomenal. They have all of the uh, different MMA websites. They uh, pick people from there who judge each fight and kind of gives a nice breakdown. Um, And even on there, like the vast majority, I'm talking like, 15 out of 16 people, 29, 28, Andre Feely. 
And then those will be the times that we'll see the judges score or have at least one score for 30-27 Yodik Yusev. And I don't even know where they found it from. So I, I, it's almost completely un, is baseless for me. And it's just so frustrating. Like, I, I don't know how to fix that. The like utter, because I can't, the times when it's 29-28 or like two 30-27s one way and a third the opposite way, it's just so infuriating and just no idea what they're looking at. Like those are the things I don't know how to solve. Cause then that person should just like have an egregious scorecard like that. They should just be booted. Like I have given like a three strike rule. They get three really bad decisions in a calendar year and then they shouldn't be able to judge fights for a year. What do you think of that? Oh yeah, man. I mean, I have a, the couple off the top of my head. I mean, Sal Delamato or Delamato, he seems to always be on the bad uh, side of judging uh, Adelaide Bird. I mean, there's there's a multiple judges uh, that should already be fired right now for their performances. It's disgusting when you see such close fights uh, going 29-28 uh, one way, 29-28 the other way, and then you're so excited to hear the next one, and the next one is 30-27. And you're just, I mean, which fight were you watching, or how much money did you have on that fighter? Because I have no clue how that, that scoring card, that scorecard could get so lopsided but i mean it's disgusting when you when you see some of these decisions um even sometimes you see dana white uh after the fight and just saying like he didn't win that fight and so uh, i they really do need to do something about it for mma's sake but because uh, vegas has a piece in it and there's all there is sports betting i just I, it's and all sports to me kind of have uh some little puppet strings pulled I, I, it's hard to trust everything, and I, I know that since the UFC's gotten bought by um, Viacom or whatever it was, that uh, it seems like I can't. I I don't know how to judge fights since they've taken over. I used to have a better feel for fights, and I feel like I picked winners more often before uh, big big uh, corporations took over. No, and we both talked about that. How I just the. I don't want to blame everything on the judging, but it anyone listening to this has been frustrated or felt like you got money taken away from you, whether you bet on it or just a fight that you a pay-per-view that you bought went a completely other way than you and probably 10 of your closest MMA friends thought it should go. So before we get too heated, we'll move on because we otherwise we're going to keep talking in circles about how the judging needs to change. We've thrown away, thrown out a few ideas on how we think could be helpful, but the hard part is they don't do any of them. Um, <laughs> maybe if they start doing some of them on the amateur circuit or some of like the states just did. I know, I can't remember what state it is off the top of my head, but had been experimenting with uh, half, half points. Uh, I don't know how far that went. I believe it was California in uh, the amateurs. But nice. some of those other things I really like to see, like it's like even like we talk about the open scoring, that's a little itty bitty change. They don't have to fire or hire anybody. They just have to let the corner know, which by the end of the card, you should know who won that fight. You shouldn't be taking the entire minute in between deciding. You should already know at the end of the round by however you write down how you judge and like let the corners know and then you can put the graphic up just so everyone at home knows. So we could either be wondering why the judges are scoring it that way and not. And then also they should be held accountable. And I know they're starting to be in certain places, but yeah. either way, moving on. Sorry. So uh, we're going to go into rankings. And uh, what we're going to do 
is we are going to play a little game with that as well. Uh, we're going to go each weight class, both genders, read the top 15, and we are both going to pick who we think, not who will be champion this time next year, like who will win it and maintain it, but whoever can win it at some point that year. Cause like to say someone's going to win it, that's already a good call. Now they might lose it in their next fight. And by the time next year, there's no champion. Um, the only catch is you can't pick the current champion of that division. Uh, I will start with, we'll start with flyweight men. And when we get to, uh, actually we'll start with the lowest weight class, uh, strawweight women. And we'll kind of go back and forth for the weight classes that they share. And then we'll be sticking with just the men. Um, it'll be a little bit easy when we go through uh, flyweight because I mean, Suhudo got stripped and he's not going to that division anymore. So that one actually makes that one easier. But um, so starting with women's strawweight, the current champion is Zhang Wei Li. Number one in the ranking is Jessica Andraj, who Wei Li finished in like 22 seconds. Uh, number two is Rose Namajunas. Three, Tatiana Suarez. Four, Joanna Jajajic, who is fighting uh, Zhang Wei Li. So that could be an, an easy pick for whichever of us might want to do that. Five, Nina Ansaroff. Six is Claudia Gadea. Seven, Carla Sparza. Eight, Michelle Waterson. Nine, Marina Rodriguez. That's Mike's girl. Ten, Cynthia Calvillo. 11, Alexa Grasso. 12, Felice Herrick. How is she still on here? I don't think she's fought in over a year. 13, <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was the limit. I thought if you hadn't fought in a year. Oh, no, that's yes. some of the websites. Some of the other websites have that uh, mm. contingency, which I'm a fan of, that if you haven't fought in a year, you're off the rankings. Either way, okay. Thir- uh, 13, Tisha Torres. 14, Carolina Kovacavics. Uh, I always say her name wrong. And then 15, Amanda Rebus. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with Tatiana Suarez. Uh, I know she is still dealing with an injury, but I can't imagine that at some point this year she doesn't come back. And to me, she is either one win away or they might just slide her in if they need someone to fight for the championship. And I think any of the women that are top five that she would face, uh, whoever might be champion, she is will physically overpower them. And even if it's winning a decision, I think she's going to win. So at some point this year, I think she's going to, provided she fights, because like I said, dealing with an injury. But that is my pick. Mike, what about you for women's straw weight? Uh, I mean, it's funny. I'm going to pick the exact same person. Uh, Tatiana Suarez is wrestling is, is way too dominant for any of these girls, especially uh, an Asian girl that just didn't have enough uh, wrestling, American wrestling in her life. So I like uh, Zang a lot. I think she's actually going to beat Joanna. I I just don't think that uh, she's going to have the takedown defense for Tatiana Suarez or the submission uh, defense. Um, But if if Tatiana can't come through this year, the only other person that I uh, think has a chance is uh, Marina Rodriguez, like you said, my other girl. No, and we've both been high on Tatiana Suarez Suarez about as long as we've been doing a podcast together. So that doesn't, not surprising to me. So uh, now I'm going to go through women's flyweight. We'll start on the women's side before we hop back to the men's for flyweight. I will list everybody. Mike, I'll let you go first this time. We'll kind of go every other. And this one's going to be a little bit tricky because currently the champion is Valentina Shevchenko at flyweight. You can't pick the champion. Yeah. And uh, the number one ranked women's flyweight is Caitlin Chukagian. 
Number two is Jessica I. Number three is Joanna as Joanne Calderwood. Four, Jennifer Maya. Five, Vivian Araujo. Six, Lauren Murphy. Seven, Roxanne Matafari. Eight, uh, Andrea Lee. Nine, Macy Barber. Ten, Alexis Davis. Surprised she's even ranked. Uh, Eleven, Montana De La Rosa. Twelve, Antonio Shevchenko, the sister. The lesser, as we've talked about, about siblings. Uh, Thirteen, Mara Romero Borello. Fourteen, Paige Van Zantz, although I believe she only has one more fight and she's going to be balancing to Bellator. Uh, Fifteen is Ji Yon Kim. So, Mike, who do you have as the ch- a possible champion for women's flyweight uh, within 2020? Ah, oh, man, it's a it's a tough one because I I don't know if anyone has any any anything to de- to defeat Valentina because she's just so well you know well versed. Um, I think that if I had to pick someone, it, I, I it would have to be probably Andrea Andrea Lee. I like her striking and uh, everything that she she brings with her aggression and her output. And uh, the only other person I can think of is Viviana Araujo if she can get her cardio up in that third round. Yeah, this is probably the one that I'm going to have the most trouble with because I mean I've been a Valentina fan for a long time. I mean, she was part of one of my biggest bets ever. I bet her against Holly Holm when they fought in Chicago straight and by decision and by decision was, was at least it was, it was a big number. I'm spacing out right now, but uh, I know I talked about on the last podcast about future bets that I'm looking forward to. And one of the ones I said I was looking forward to is Roxanne Matafari over Macy Barber just because the odds are so crazy. And I think she could pull off some veteran savvy. Um, And I still think that, but I like that Macy Barber is uh, doing a lot of training with uh, Ben Askren to shorten up her wrestling. And I mean, the hardest part is I would probably pick Macy Barber over the majority of the women in this division. The hard part is Valentin Shevchenko is such a counter striker and Macy Barber just bulls forward. So it's given her the perfect setup to just slide and counter and like all day. Um, so, hmm. Yeah, it leaves Macy vulnerable to a head kick. Exactly. Um, man, I, don't know. I think I'm just going to have to pick Macy Barber just because, like, other than the fighters you named, I would think, I think Macy Barber can beat just about everyone in the division. Uh, she's going to have some trouble when she – that that's the funny thing. It's like so many of the women in the, the division. Uh, I mean, Calderwood's getting better at it. Chukagian can do it. Um, aren't that good counter strikers. So they will get into the brawl, and Barber is just so violent that they can't handle the onslaught. So I, don't, I think I'm going to have to go with Barber, even though I have mentioned, and I probably will still put a little bit of money on uh, Roxanne Matafari when the two of them fight, I believe. Let me double check. Yeah, they're fighting at 246. So this uh, pick might blow up in my face in <laughs> about a week and a half, but you know what? It's okay if it blows up in my face because I'll make some money either way. So um, we're going to go over to the men's flyweight uh currently they have Cejudo listed as champion but he vacated or was stripped whoever you're going to believe on that one i'm going to lean closer to stripped just because that's what i personally want to believe um they're actually having a 
like a, a vacant championship fight between Joseph Benavidez and uh, Davison Figueredo. So picking one of those two will probably get you at least uh, one of them at some point this year. Uh, but number two in the division under Joseph Benavidez is Juicy Formiga. Um, yes, Juicy. I call him Juicy or Juicy A. I don't go with the actual description of it. Three, Davison Figueredo, who is fighting Joseph Benavidez. Four, the vacant title. Four is Alexandre Pantoja. Five is Brandon Moreno. I'm actually kind of surprised he is ranked that high. Uh, six, Rogerio Bontran. Seven, Tim Elliott. Eight, Kai Cara France. 9, Matt Chanel, 10, Jordan Espinoza, 11, Alex Perez, 12, Askar Askarov, 13, Mark De La Rosa, 14, Raulian Paiva, and 15, Ryan Benoit. I don't think it's going to surprise anyone who has heard me talk about him before or talk about I'm, the division. I'm, with, I'm already with you on Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to be both on uh, Joseph Benavidez here. <laughs> we both wanted him to fight Henry Cejudo before Henry Cejudo uh, plumped up to 165. Wanted them to fight because Joseph Benavidez beat him once, and I really believe he will beat him a second time. I think Benavidez can lord over this division until some of the younger fighters get their seasoning. He just has so much over so many of them, and like I, I really like him against uh, Figueredo. I think he has the wrestling to control the fight. And yeah, there's, just, I mean, there's some young guys in the division that just need some seasoning to be able to go for him, or he might just handle the division until he ages out because he is starting to get up there. I believe he is either 34 or 35. He is not super young, especially for a lower weight division. So here's hoping he can get this win and defend a bunch of times. And actually I would, this is one of the few ones that I would say I would be confident that he's not only going to win, but at this time next year, he will likely still have the belt. So I know we, we agree, Mike, but I'll still throw it to you about who you see, how you see him winning against Figueredo. And I guess who else might be the next contender that he takes out. Yeah. Joseph Benavides has been long deserving of the title shot. He's performed so well for so long versus the best of the best. Like you said, already beat the champion. Um, the champion's running from Joseph Benavides. Uh, I'm pretty upset that Joseph isn't already getting the title shot because the uh, Cejudo's too busy off running uh, chicken chip playing with Aldo, some old dude. So I, I, it's kind of sad, but I love Joseph Benavides. I think he's a great role model and example of MMA pioneer. I actually hope he wins I, um, the championship so that he can retire. I think that he would be one of the smart guys who would actually think about retiring once he won the belt. Um, I know it's hard to do, but I think that he'd be smart enough to do it or to retire with the belt in general if he did defend. But um, I just really like Joseph Benavides a lot. I think he deserves it. I, I think his wrestling is too good for Figueredo. Um, his scrambling and transition ability um, is just some of the best in the world. So it's it's going to be a great fight, though, versus Figueroa because uh, Devison's got some vicious strikes. No, I was going to have you start and then jump down to the opposite weight class, opposite gender. But then I realized I'm making you go first. I'm basically all of the women's divisions. So I'll start with uh, men's bantamweight before we hop back down. And also for scrolling purposes, makes it easier on me. But uh, currently the champion is Henry Cejudo for at least a little while longer. Uh, Ranked number one is Marlon Marais. Two, Aljamain Sterling. 
who I believe has healed up from his arm injury and should be coming back soon. Three, Peter Jan, or Peter Jan, I'm going to try to pronounce that correctly. Four, Corey Sanhagen, Sandman. Five, Rafael Asuncao. Uh, seven, Pedro Munoz. Eight, Jose Aldo. Nine, Cody Garbrandt, who's actually fighting Rafael Asuncao soon. Ten, Rob Font. Eleven, Cody Stamen, Mike's favorite guy. Uh, 12, John Dodson, 13, Song Yadong, 14, Marlon Chito Vera, and 15, Casey Kenny. So, Mike, of the guys listed, who do you think is going to be champion sometime this calendar year? Um, it, this one's a tough one for me. Between uh, Corey Sandhagen and Peter, Peter Jan, uh, however you say it, like you said, um, I, I really, really like Corey Sandhagen's length for the division. Um, sub- Submission-wise and jujitsu, guys that are longer are just very hard to get off you and get they, they're, easy, they're easily able to slip in uh, triangles on you. Just, just get you in situations where it's just not really fair for a shorter uh, guy. So I really like Corey Sandhagen in that sense, especially because he's got good volume and striking as well. But uh, Petr Jan is a it's pretty amazing. It's, it's hard to deny him, but if I had to pick one, I'm going with Corey Sandhagen. Then I get that. I know uh, we're both Corey Sandhagen fans. You longer than me, you saw his gifts even earlier on than I did. And we're always really high on him. Uh, to me, I agree. This is kind of a two horse race, whether it be uh, uh Peter Jan or Corey Sandhagen. And I honestly think it's whoever gets, matched up with Suhudo first because I do think they both can beat him and would likely beat him um both of it's it's odd I would like them both to get it's crazy that they're three and four uh I know it's because they're on winning streaks and have looked good but neither of them have really faced the bigger names of the division and most of the bigger names of the division are actually ranked underneath them but I would like both of them to get like one more fight of like a decent name before they go in and fight Henry Cejudo. And since Henry Cejudo is kind of sitting on his butt, not fighting and calling out people he shouldn't be calling out, they might have that time. But I, I do think it's like whoever signs on the dotted line to fight Henry Cejudo at any point this year uh, is going to be the champion. So since you're going with Corey Sanhagen, I'll go the other way and I'll go with Peter Jan because I do think they both and would both beat Henry Cejudo. So moving on to the women's bantamweight division. The champion is Amanda Nunes. The number one ranked contender who she just beat is Jermaine Derendami, my Dutch sister there who got dominated. But you know what? She fought for your money if you bet on her. She got – she took advantage of her spots. We'll put it that way. Uh, two is Aspen Ladd. Three, Holly Holm. Four, Juliana Pena. Five, Raquel Pennington. And actually, Raquel Pennington and Holly Holm are fighting in the co-main event of UFC 246. Uh, rank six is Irene Aldana. Seven, Caitlin Vieira. Eight, Yana Kuniskaya. Nine, Marion Renault. Ten, Sarah McMahon. Eleven, Lena Landsberg. Twelve, Macy Chazan. Thirteen, Betch Correa. Fourteen, Nico Montano. Pretty sure she's over a year two. Uh, Fifteen, Sajara Eubanks. So for me... The hard part is the calendar year thing. If we would be saying who on this list will eventually be a UFC champion or bantamweight champion, I'd be going with Aspen Ladd because I do think she has all the tools and she's young enough that she has the time to get the experience. But I don't 
I'm not sure she's going to do it in the next calendar year. Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have to give it to her only because I would pick her against pretty much everyone else in the division. And actually in a rematch, I would pick her again against Jermaine Daramadami. Um, I just think she's still learning and growing and all that stuff. And she doesn't have time to get the proper seasoning before she can get thrown into another title fight. So I'm going to go with Aspen Ladd, but um, for her sake, I hope she could, uh, she doesn't even get that title fight for over a year. So Mike, where are you at in terms of who you think will be, could be a champion at a bantamweight for women? And don't forget at some point, Amanda Nunes is going to show up looking old. She did get rocked a few times in the last fight. They're starting to say she's the goat. And every time Dana's christened someone's the goat, they tend to fall. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, if I had to pick someone that I've been high on for a long time is uh, Irene Aldana. I've been a, a big fan of her striking and her boxing. And uh, in the women's division, that's something that is is far and few, is really good crisp boxing. And we saw that with uh, Nunez fighting GDR, that Nunez was exposed, that her striking is not top level, top notch. So if I have to pick someone that is going to defeat the champion, they're going to have to have some top, top quality uh, striking. And I think that uh, Irene Aldana's striking is that, but I just need her to be more aggressive and then really take to that jujitsu game because uh, she's going to have to have top quality takedown defense to, to get her striking off. Men's featherweight. Actually, I'm just say featherweight because we're not going to do female featherweight because although there are a few women's featherweight fighters in the UFC, they don't even have a top 15 ranking on the UFC website. So no, we're moving they, on. They don't even have 15 fighters. That's, that's true. I'm not, I'm not even <laughs> sure if they have 10. So I'll say they have six and that's probably stretching it. And that's, that's more better. because you have people at Bantamweight that could bounce back and forth. Um, for men's featherweight, the current champion is Alexander Volkanovsky after beating Max Holloway. The number one ranked fighter is Max Holloway. Because apparently that's how UFC rankings work. If you just lost to the guy, you're still ranking number one. Uh, number two, Brian Ortega, even though he's probably getting almost to a year now of not fighting also. Uh, three, Zabit Magomed Shirapov. Finally can say that name. Took about a year. Okay, we're there. Uh, four, uh, the Korean Zabi Chan Sung Jung. Five, Yair Rodriguez. Six, Frankie Edgar. Seven, Renato Moicano. Eight, Jeremy Stevens, 9, Jose Aldo, 10, Josh Emmett, 11, Calvin Cater, 12, Shane Burgos, 13, Mirsad Bekdik, 14, Ryan Hall, 15, Arnold Allen. I do think we can kind of disregard uh, Jose Aldo since he just made the drop down. And if you want to, this, he's not listed now, but I'm willing to throw him in there if you want to use him since uh, Barbosa, Edson Barbosa has said he's going to make the cut to featherweight. I can only imagine there's plenty of people in this top 15 he can beat so we'll just say he's a top 10 15 fighter as of right now so mike who do you have that you think can beat alexander volkanovsky in the next year um the, the only person that i think is a beat i think Zabit's uh striking is so uh well diverse and just he's just got a plethora of weapons he's just you can't ex- you don't know what to expect from him so i think it would be very hard to game plan for him um, I, I want to say the Korean zombie, but after what Yair Rodriguez was able to do to him with 10 seconds and you know, the final round, uh, that shit just makes me sick to my stomach. Otherwise I would be picking the Korean zombie. If I had confidence in Zabit, 
uh, for a f- I hope he gets a five round fight before that, it's just so we can see. I mean, for all I know, he has cardio for days, but it just always seems to me that he gasses out or at least slows down dramatically in the third round. Yeah. So I really want to see him in a five round fight, both selfishly and also will help me gauge his possibility of winning in the future. Uh, I'm not going to quite make the leap to Zabit being able to beat Alexander Volkanovsky. And honestly, it's pr- probably a hard pick, but I think of the people in the top, even just top five that have the best chance to beat uh, Volkanovsky in the next year is Max Holloway. I know he just lost, um, but since he is not champion now, I do think he has a chance to win. I do hope he does get a fight in between uh, to change up his game plan a little bit, but I, I do think as of right now, Alexander Volkanovsky and him are like the two best guys in the division. So Agreed. my hope is Max Holloway gets his belt back. I mean, yeah. I guess Ortega or someone like that might be interesting, just giving the sub factor something as crazy as like just jumping up and doing a guillotine or something like that. But I'm going to go with Max Holloway, I think. That's a good pick. Okay. Scrolling down. So yeah, I didn't just I didn't pick Max this time because I'm just I always I just ride Max so hard that I oh me too I, I'm, well, I'm well aware that that is a very much of a a homer pick as you oh I want to this knows that we're there but honestly I do like like I said it's like it, is it what Zabit has shown if he can show me that for five rounds I would be more confident just because I think he is just. Um, unorthodox enough that it would be hard for Alexander Volkanovsky and his coaches to game plan for it. And I think when he doesn't have a game plan to follow, he's not as good of a fighter. I think he's a very, very good fighter. Don't get me wrong. And he's great at following game plan, better than most fighters. And that's what got him against masks. Cause he, at even the start of the fight, he was doing the stuff that wasn't necessarily going to pay dividends right away, but over the course of the fight would, and not everyone's willing to fight that way. But I think uh, Zabit could be unorthodox enough that he could pose some problems. But like I said, if, if Zabit has a five-round fight where he styles on someone for five rounds straight and looks amazing, oh, I, I'll, I'll be there. I'd, I'd play the dog money. But until I see that, it has me a little bit worried. But, okay, moving on. Lightweight. Current champion Zabit Nurmagomedov. Number one contender is Tony Ferguson. Number two is Dustin Poirier. Three, Justin Gagey. Four... Conor McGregor, five, Donald Cerrone. Those two are fighting, although it's at welterweight. Um, Paul Felder and Dan Hooker are six and seven. And hey, they're fighting in another month, I believe. Kevin Lee is eight. Alaquinta is nine. Ten has Edson Barboza, but he has said he's dropping to 45. So you could either pick him or not, but he's likely not going to be on there. Eleven is Pettis. I believe his next fight is... Still, I know he's fighting Carlos Diego Ferreira, but that that is that at that's at fifty five though. Still, right? I believe. Whatever. Neither of us think that it's going to be Pettis, so we'll we'll move past that. Um, Twelve, Gregor Gillespie. Thirteen, Charles Oliveira. Fourteen, Alexander Hernandez, and fifteen, Islam Makashev. And you started last time, so I'll start this time. Um, if it's not going to be Khabib, which is a good chance it's not going to be, I get a feeling that he is going to be retiring soon, only because he doesn't need the fame. And at some point, if he's undefeated and has beaten enough people, he considers himself the GOAT. That's enough. Um, it's weird as it is, and I know 
it's jumping the gun. And I know he might have trouble with a lot of these guys, but if you're going to say Nurmagomedov isn't in the picture, I'm going to go completely out of left field and kind of go for a heart pick too. And I'm going to go with uh, Charles Overa, the Bronx. Just, I get that he has just that chance of taking out everybody in at least one or two spots. He's that kind of a fighter. Don't worry, he might get his, his ass beat by someone like could be like hold him down and all that stuff. But like his, just his ability to take the back and with the speed that he does that and the better his striking is getting, I'm going for the big swing and I'll go with uh, Charles Oliveira at some point this year will be UFC champion. And you know what? Even like for all these picks, may, I'll write them down and we'll even consider interim for that. For her, So who knows? Maybe an interim title there. But I'm going with Dobrox. <laughs> what about you, Mike, for uh, the fly, the sorry, the lightweight division? Uh, I'm having a tough time uh, choosing between uh, Justin Gaethy and Tony Ferguson. I, I really think that Justin Gaethy's wrestling is uh, top level and it's it just – it could hang with takedown defense for Khabib, and then he could possibly get his kicks off and cause some damage to injure Khabib, so his takedowns aren't even a threat anymore. Um, and it's, if I can't, if it's not Gaethy, then I mean, I Tony Ferguson's the man. Uh, there's there's almost nobody else that I could trust to go to war that long. I just um, Tony takes a lot of damage too, so I'm, I, I get worried about that. Agree with both of those. Um, I'd lean more towards Ferguson between those two, but I already said mine with my big swing. Moving on to welterweight, current champion is Kamaro Usman. Number one ranked is Tyrone Woodley. How I don't know how he's ranked number one because his last fight was losing to Kamaro. So this is what the reason that people make fun of the UFC. Yeah, seriously. So I'm sorry. Well, his, his last fight was a loss to Usman. He hasn't fought since, and I'm pretty sure. That's a that's over a year since now. Colby Covington, who just fought Usman and was actually close before he broke his jaw, is two. Uh, three is Jorge Masvidal. Four, Leon Edwards. Five, Rafael Dos Anjos. Six, Damian Maya. Seven, Stephen Thompson. Eight, Nate Diaz. Nine, Anthony Pettis. Pettis is ranked higher than Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler's 10. <laughs> uh, 11 is Jeff Neal. Sorry, I never thought I would see that. 12 is Vincente Luque. 13, Gilbert Burns. Actually, Gilbert Burns is fighting Damian Maya uh, at about a month and a half. Neil Magny is 14. When was the last time Neil Magny even fought? I don't know. I don't uh, know. And 15 I is Li Jingliang. So, <laughs> uh, Mike, who do you have as a possible champion other than Usman in the next calendar year? I'm going to have to go with my boy, uh, George Gamebred Masvidal. I think that uh, George has just got the some of the best boxing, if not the best boxing in the UFC. I think that his takedown defense over the years of rolling with Colby and all the other top-level athletes over there, ATT and et cetera, uh, Yoel Romero, especially his, his Cuban buddy, I think that he's just got – he's it, man. He, he I've been saying it for a long time that George Masvidal is it. And uh, I really believe that he could smash uh, Kamar Usman into pieces. I mean, I, that's the thing. Looking over this, I was going into this not going to pick Jorge Masvidal. I really was just because I don't think he's going to want to fight for the title in the next calendar year. Like I think he's, especially if Cowboy wins, he's going to go for that fight and then maybe sail off into the off to some beach somewhere. Um, but if if he's not fighting Usman, which I mean, I think he has a shot versus Usman. I don't think Kobe is going to be fighting for the title in the next year 
because he had the broken jaw. That's going to take a long time to heal. So he might only get one fight in and, and it's not going to be an immediate rematch. No. Uh, Woodley was supposed to fight Leon Edwards, but he's moving away from that. There's no way he's getting a fight with Usman. Edwards might get a fight with Usman, but I don't think he's going to win. So, like, of the top 15, I mean, it's uh, best shot is probably, and the best chance to both get a title shot and win it is probably Jorge Masvidal. So, I, I guess I'm going to have to go there too. I actually, I, I honestly went in here not planning on doing that, but now <laughs> looking at the rankings, I don't. The only other person that might get a title shot before him is Leon Edwards, and I would put pick Maury Masvidal over Leon Edwards just if those two fought. So I guess we're going Masvidal, both of us. I wasn't planning on that, and I was going to try to be different than Mike, but hey, uh, here we are. Um, Middleweight division champion Israel Adesanya. I finally got that pronunciation down as well. Uh, Number one ranked Robert Whitaker. Two, Paula Costa. Three, Yoel Romero. And that fight is actually official. The Israel Adesanya-Yoel Romero fight. It's going to be at UFC 248. Uh, four, Jared Cannonier. Five, Darren Till. Six, Jack Hermanson. Seven, Kelvin Gastelum. Eight, Derek Brunson. Nine, Edmund Shabazian. Ten, Uriah Hall. Eleven, Brad Tavares. Twelve, Ian Heinish. Thirteen, Omari Akhmedov. Fourteen, Antonio Carlos Jr. And still clinging to the top 15, the veteran, the one-time goat, Anderson Silva. I already know who I'm going to pick in here. Um, I do think Romero has a shot, but I do think that Romero has taken a lot of damage in the last, I don't know, three years, especially. Um, I'm not swinging as big as when I picked uh, Oliveira for lightweight, but screw it, man. I'm going Jared Cannonier. He's done me right. He's making leap and bounds in his skills from fight to fight it seems um and if he makes any more he's gonna have give adesanya quite quite a test um i do think he could put him out of there uh adesanya has been knocked out before he obviously still is the better striker but i don't know it would be it would be an interesting fight he uh, jared Kennear of those in the top uh 10 probably has the most unique style within there uh, and not saying he like does things that no one does, just he fights different than like, these guys. And I think he would give uh, Adesanya uh, some tough looks and I would give uh, the pirate king a leaning. Uh, Mike, where are you at for the middleweight division? <laughs> it's funny, man. As we as I was looking at the list and I was like, man, oh, man, I like Jared Cannonier. It's crazy. I, uh, after you picked him t- on the show for us uh, as a, such a big underdog versus Jack Hermanson and he knocked him out or knocked him out or submitted him. Can't remember either way. Took him out. Um, I just, I, I, I I'm worried. I, I'm worried about him. Like his powers is freak. I, I, I don't think Whitaker can beat Adesanya. Paula Costa's too young. Romero's too old. Um, I don't like the list. You know, I think Jared Cannonier is the only one that could possibly beat Adesanya. That's right. You heard it here. We are both avid members of the Pyrite Posse. And <laughs> if he gets this fight, I will FedEx him said sacred crystal to give him all of the powers that he wants as he circles himself with the energy of said crystals. Sorry, I'm, I can't get over the fact that he's into crystals. So Bro, I, I, love, I, I, I like, like to bring it up all the time because Dude, it I, is I, so I like, 
It's not like, funny to me. It's just so like intriguing to me that he's that into crystals and I want him to not let this gimmick go and it perpetually to be about the crystals. Like even when he loses at some point, I want him to be like oh, I crack, crack in my crystal, man. It didn't, I couldn't absorb the strength because of the crack. And then <laughs> now I don't have as much power. So man, I gotta give myself some new crystals. Like I, I want it to go that far of him yeah. and his crystals. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a gimmick, bro. Cause I mean, I, I, I definitely talk about energy and like positive energy, negative energy. When you walk in the room, you can feel energy. Uh, when you go in nature, you feel good energy. Uh, so like the, the rocks, the uh, the gems and stuff. Like I, I, I loved when he started going on a rant about that because he, he's not doing anything negative. You know, he's uh, he's all about positivity. I like that in life because uh, you know there's a lot of hardships, a lot of ups and downs in life, as everyone knows. And uh, you know, if if you can cling to a crystal and that's going to help you give you some good energy and so be it dude i, I don't even care whatever it is as long as you're a good person but he happens to be a badass fighter no he just make he, i'm so interested with the way his mind works i would love to sit down and talk to him so who knows maybe someday we got to get but, him on. we got to oh, oh that'd be so great if he i i'm gonna start like borderline stalking him now yeah because then maybe when he gets a title fight that'll happen but like when he first came in the ufc he made such waves because he was from alaska and he was getting into Judaism, like really into it. And then after like two or three fights, and it didn't go the best for him early on. But once he switched to crystals, man, he's been doing good since he switched to crystals. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing something for him. <laughs> hey, it's a real deal, dude. Go get your amethyst, bro. Dude, I'm, I'm going to have to go get myself some crystals, put them on a chain, just start wearing them around, like feel what kind of day it is. And then just like let everyone know it's it's this kind of stone day. So if you want to be on my wavelength, feel free to put it on, and we could we could feel each other's energy. Get on my fre- <laughs> get on my frequency, bro. <laughs> exactly. Um, sorry, uh, I crack myself up. Um, light heavyweight John Jones is currently the champion. Although I guess it depends who you ask. I know a lot of people that are dead set that um Tiago Santos won that decision. Um, number one is Tiago Santos. Number two, Daniel Cormier, who I don't know why he's still on there because he's basically saying he's going to stay at heavyweight, but okay. Three, Anthony Smith. Four, Dominic Reyes, who is fighting John Jones uh, for his next title defense. Five, Corey Anderson, who I would pick if he had a chin. Six, Jan Blakowicz, Mr. Janney from the block, our boy. Seven, Alexander Gustafson, who I thought retired, but he's still on here. Eight is Vulcan Ozdemir. Nine, Glover Teixeira. Ten, Alexander Rakic. 11, Johnny Walker. 12 has a little Latifi, but he's moving up to heavyweight. So that one's off there too. 13, Misha Sirkinov. 14, Nikita Krylov. And somehow 15 is Ronaldo Jacare Souza. So, Mike, of those listed, who do you think has a chance to touch gold this year? Oh, man, no one's beating John Jones. Um, but if I had to pick one, um, I would I would just go out and just – Man, uh, well, dude, go, go ether with it. Say John Jones screws himself over and gets popped for something else, and okay. two got two of the other main guys in the division Corey, have to Corey, fight for an interim title. Uh, I'm gonna go Cor uh, somehow Corey Anderson, dude. I I just think he's changed so much, dude. If I haven't didn't see him get flatlined all those times, I, I would pick him because he's got no. He has he has gotten. So good. I know, man. He doesn't have crazy power. I mean, he showed a little bit of it last time, but that's more strategic, isn't as much as raw power. If he had more raw power, just a little bit, not even a lot, 
and like a granite chin. I would pick him like against just about anybody, maybe even John Jones, because like he can get as good game plans going. He's shown that he can grow in basically every single area, but I would just see him getting finished at some point. I I don't know. Um, Yeah, that's why I said John Jones beat everybody's ass. Honestly, and I know it's the fight that's coming up, but I'm Reyes is going to get smashed, dude. I know he's going to get smashed, but the only reason I'm thinking I'm going to pick Dominic Reyes is. Both the Anthony Smith fight and the Tiago Santos fight should not have been that close. So I don't know, like if John Jones is taking it easy, whatever. But if he takes it easy against Dominic Reyes, I'm not saying Dominic Reyes is some absolute utter killer. Like I would say Tiago Santos is more that than Dominic Reyes. But I think Dominic Reyes has that um, next level athlete, like explosiveness, where he can come across in ways that if uh, Jones takes him as light as he's taken some opponents in the past, he might get humbled. Um, I, like, I I'm picking John Jones in that fight, but I'm trying to think like of really anybody else in the top 15, even with Daniel Cormier in there. John Jones will always show up to a Daniel Cormier fight because he likes to humiliate him. But of the guys listed, I, I'm just... Not impressive, huh? Well, yeah, I'm not impressed with anyone in the entire division and their chances, but I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to go with Dominic Reyes. And again, it's going to get figured out right quick. But mm. I mean, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's going to fight John Jones and three weeks out, John Jones pops for something or gets a domestic something or other. Who knows? And then they take him out and insert Tiago Santos or Anthony Smith for Dominic Reyes for the vacant title. Who knows? So I'll, I'll go Reyes because cr- crazy stuff happens. Now, Heavyweight. This will be the last one we're going to talk about. And honestly, this has taken longer than I anticipated doing the rings. It's been fun. I'm actually happy we did it. So afterward, uh, Mike, you and I, we could decide if we want to do what if or we want to do breakdown fights. We might want to just do one or the other, just given time. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a really long podcast. But if we if we have time for one more. Um, but in terms of heavyweight, currently the champion is Stipe Miosic. Uh, number one is Daniel Cormier. And that's actually the fight they're looking to make. Two is Francis Ngannou, three Curtis Blades, four Junior DeSantos, five Jairzinho Rosenstruck, five Derek Lewis, seven Alexander Volkov, eight Alistair Overeem, nine Walt Harris. You could pretty much disregard him because I don't think Harris is fighting for a while. Ten Shamil Abdurakimov, eleven Blagoy Ivanov, twelve Alexei Olenek, thirteen Augusto Sakai. Really? Fourteen Sergey Pavlov, uh, Pavlovich. And 15, Sirvgane, or Gain, either way. Um, so, okay, it's my turn to go first. Um, I do think at some point this year, uh, Ningano gets the title. Um, and I know that's the easy pick. I don't know, whole year. Screw it. I'm going crazy. I'll go Cyril Gan because I get a feeling that pretty much whoever wins versus uh, between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic, Daniel Cormier has basically said that if he wins, he'll retire. Uh, Stipe, I don't think he can handle the punishment from someone like either Ninganu or Gane um, in the future. He's just taking too much damage. And maybe not at the beginning of the year, but if he gets a couple more fights in, I would actually love to eventually see a Cyril Gane versus Francis Ngannou. Sorry, screw it. I'm going Cyril Gane. What about you, Mike, for heavyweight? 
Um, right off the top of my head, I mean, in God knows the easy answer. It's not very tough to think that he's going to mollywop someone and be the champion soon. But uh, if I had to pick someone else, it'd be uh, Yahir Rosenstruck. Uh, I, th- I think I said his name wrong, but Rosenstruck, I think that he's got some freak power that you're going to need that in this heavyweight division. And, it, you know, as we've seen, like when you fight in the last 10 seconds, it happens all the time now. Well, and you actually, you're right on there because, I mean, he's fighting uh, Ninganu coming up. And pretty much whoever wins that, I would assume, is fighting for the title or whoever, fighting for whoever wins Miosic versus Cormier. So as long as that happens within the year, it's like that's still a very viable option. Now, that was us going through the rankings. And honestly, I really like that uh, segment that came up last minute, but I think it worked out really well. So, Mike, I will give you the option because I don't think we should probably do more than one of these in case either one of these could go long. Uh, Would you like to do UFC What If or would you like to do How We Break Down Fights? Um. One of these can get tagged on. Yeah, I was like, because either one of these can get tagged on to next week when we talk about UFC 246. Since we won't be uh, reviewing anything, we'll still have time to bring it in. So I will make a note of how we break down fights, and we will make sure to have that, which in what would normally be the review section of the next podcast. Because as many of you current listeners know, or if you're just checking us out for the first time, most podcasts start with an intro, go into us. To reviewing the previous fight card or at least the card the fights on that card that we did break down and then going into a preview of the next card uh, usually the main fights but on really good cards the holding card so we're going to ufc what if uh we might just do one each because i have one that i've always thought about that i will go into now and that one will be mine and then i will swing it on over to mike but my biggest ufc what if and i'm going to explain how this works For any of you um, comic book nerds out there, and for any of you that need to know, I am. I can eventually get a video thing and show you the couple thousand comics I have in the back corner of this same room. But as of right now, we'll just explain uh, how this works. Uh, Marvel used to do this thing called What If. It's actually going to be a show on Disney Plus in the next year. But it's if something changed in history or in timeline or with a certain hero, what it would do to the rest of the Marvel universe, or in this case, the UFC universe. We'll go with it that way. So my biggest UFC, what if that I always think about, and a lot of these can go down to a questionable judging scenarios. And that's what this one is. So my biggest one is the Carlos Condit split decision with Robbie Lawler, because I think that Carlos Condit, won that fight i absolutely do uh, actually when i first brought this up to my god my timeline is a little bit skewed so this next part's going to change but uh that's one of the biggest things that i thought should have happened um and i think if carlos condit would have won and robbie lawler would have lost or i guess you can even go back to any of the random split decisions with johnny hendrix but i'm gonna specifically go with the carlos condit fight i think if carlos condit would have won that fight I think his next fight would have been against either Rory McDonald or Tyrone Woodley. Now, Robbie Lawler did fight Tyrone Woodley after the Carlos Condit fight, and he got knocked out in the first round. That could have happened to Carlos Condit, but I actually think that they would have done the rematch of with Rory McDonald since he 
me click on that. Sorry. Uh, something didn't open the way that I wanted it to. So it's kind of burning the bridges of how this was supposed to go, but that's okay. Where did it go? There you go. Okay. Uh, I think that Roy McDonald would have won in this rematch because this would have been a rematch too. Uh, Rory's one of the few guys to have multiple rematches at 170, but I think he would have beat Carlos Condit. And then since Rory Mack had already beaten Tyrone Woodley with just a jab and has gotten significantly better since then, I think he would have beaten Tyrone Woodley. So I think he not only would have Rory Mack actually attained a UFC championship, but he would have defended it at least once. Now, the next part is where it gets squirrely. Because uh, the next fight for that champion would have been Stephen Wonder's boy Thompson regardless. The only difference is if the fight went even remotely the way it went when they fought not for a title, then Wonder Boy Thompson actually would have touched a UFC title too. So that's my UFC what if uh, you ended up with three champions that would have never even touched gold or hadn't even touched gold until that point. And the welterweight division currently would be a much different place than it would be given the rematches and everyone else in it. And I actually think that uh, Rory Mack would probably still be in the UFC, given he at one point was a champion. So that's my UFC what if. Uh, Mike, do you have one? Um, kind of a smaller one. Uh, it, it's Johnny Hendricks. I know he did touch gold, uh, but that was a vacant uh, championship belt that he fought for. I just think that uh, I, I was a huge GSP fan. I, I really believe that GSP lost that fight when he, the, the judges gave him the split decision. That kind of sent, uh, you know, Johnny Hendricks on a, a whole different path. Then after that, you know, he uh, GSP retires, and then he has to fight again versus Robbie Lawler for the vacant strap. He wins that unanimously, and then, you know, tail, kind of tailspins from there, you know, loses the Robbie Lawler next fight. So he only def- – he basically never defended it. He won it and then lost it. So it would have been a, a win. He would have defended it twice and then lost it. Who knows where his career would have been? Sponsorships. I mean, trainers. Uh, you know, like nowadays, look, they offer the UFC Performance Institute to, uh, they say to everybody, but I, we all know that's not true. There's people getting special treatment over there. I have one quick one. I'm not going to go with this one in depth, but I, I actually just thought about this one is um, this is going way back. And I honestly do not know what the repercussions of this wouldn't be. Um, I just think it would have been a little bit crazy if in the ultimate finale one. So if the ultimate fighter one finale when Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner fought, it was a super close fight. If Stefan Bonner won, because Forrest Griffin became one of like the first like reality TV mainstream stars in the UFC. I can't say he's the first mainstream star because obviously they have uh, plenty of other ones that were much bigger in popularity and pay-per-view draw than Forrest Griffin. But Forrest Griffin started that wave of like that. I mean, this sounds crazy now given what pay-per-view buys are. And I know, uh, on ESPN plus it's different, but that like 500, 600 range, let's just say like, like 400, 500,000 pay-per-view range person. And I just look at it as if Stefan Bonner would have won that, they would have wanted to set him up with easier fights right out of the gate. Like they did with Stefan Bonner to kind of ease him into everything. Um, 
I still think he would have lost just like Forrest did to Tito Ortiz. And I don't think he would have beat any of the names that Forrest was able to beat. And I don't, I don't know that one. I don't have fully, fully flushed out, but I just thought about that one too. Cause I remember how close of a fight that was. I mean, they did rematch like three or four fights later and then it was a clear Forrest Griffin win, but that could have definitely changed the outcome of the UFC uh, in a fa- fairly major way. Now we've talked about this. We're going to do how we break down fights. We're going to do that at the start of the show uh, for next week. But before we completely sign off, I just wanted to say thank everyone for listening on in. I hope you all had a great holiday. And Mike, is there anything else you want to say to the people? Uh, no, we just appreciate you guys each and every week listening. Please go rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, give, give all the teammates a follow, especially uh, the King of Prime himself, MMA for Money, uh, Super Tip Star, Tippy, our boy and producer. There's just so many people uh, that help make this possible, and uh, we just can't thank you guys enough. And with all that, and with UFC 246 coming up, we rolling.